Hello, and welcome to the 23rd episode of the InfoSec Sync podcast, where we keep you in sync with the ever-changing world of information security. I'm your host, Matt Morris. And I'm your host, Nick Thomas. And give us 60 minutes, and we will keep you on top of the latest security news and help you gain CPEs while tuning in. InfoSec Sync is brought to you by VicTech. At VicTech, they pride themselves on teamwork, customer satisfaction, and providing customers with elite engineering and technology solutions. They aim to become an ever more dominant force in every area, product, or service they represent. Visit them on the web at VicTech.net. That's V-I-K-T-E-C-H dot net. And now, for stories of the week, ending June 3rd. 2016. Teen, teen, teen. What up, InfoSec fam? We're back from a long summer vacation, and <laughs> we're live to you on wherever you're coming from right now, and uh, we want to get it started back up. This is our 23rd episode. It's been a minute. Yeah, we've been offline for um, a, a little bit of a, a year due to... Uh, uh, contracts and clients, but um, we're back and ready to work. I've actually moved to Huntsville, Alabama, where Uh-oh. Uh, the National Cyber uh, Summit is happening June 8th and 9th at the Von Braun Center. So make sure you're there. Um, a lot of cyber stuff going on in the Huntsville, Alabama area. Uh, sort of going to be the cyber pinnacle of the South. So come on down and um, have a good time and, and check yeah, us out. Yeah, buddy. You already know. All right. So I'm going to start off um, with our first story of the week. So um, this story of the week is on TeamViewer. So TeamViewer users are being hacked in bulk, and we still don't know how. So it's kind of uh, it's kind of strange how this is happening but the service blames password reuse for the attacks used to drain the financial accounts so um, here's a little bit of background on on what's happening and and the story here so basically for more than a month users of the remote login service team viewer have taken to internet forums to report their computers have been ransacked by attackers who somehow gained access to their accounts in many of the cases the online burglars reportedly drain PayPal or bank accounts. No one outside a team viewer knows precisely how many accounts have been hacked, but there's no denying that the breaches are widespread. Over the past three days, both Reddit and Twitter have exploded with such reports, often with unsupported claims that the intrusions are a result of a hack on team viewers network. Late on Friday afternoon, an IBM security researcher became the latest to report a team viewer account takeover. So in the middle of my gaming session, this is in quote, in the middle of my gaming session, I lost control of my mouse and the team viewer window pops up in the bottom right hand corner of the screen, wrote Nick Bradley, which is a practice leader inside IBM's threat research group. As soon as I realized what was happening, I killed the application, then it dawns on me. I have other machines running team viewer, he continued. I run downstairs where another computer is still up and running. Lo and behold, the team viewer window shows up. Before I am able to kill it, the attacker opens a browser window and attempts to go to a new web page. As soon as I reach the machine, I revoke control and close the app. 
I immediately go to the TeamViewer website and change my password while also enabling two-factor authentication. Luckily for me, those were the only two machines that were still powered on with TeamViewer installed. Also lucky for me is the fact that I was there when it occurred. Had I not been there to thwart the attack, who knows what would have been accomplished. Instead of discussing how I almost got hacked, I'd be talking about the serious implications of my personal data leak. Bradley's account came a few hours after Germany-based TeamViewer reaffirmed that it had steadfastly maintained for the past two weeks that the account takeovers are a result of end-users' careless practice, password practices. In a statement, company officials alluded to the recent cluster of mega-breaches that have dumped more than 642 million passwords into the public domain over the past month. The officials wrote, MySpace, Tumblr, and Fling are the latest services to join discredited LinkedIn. As you probably heard, there have been unprecedented large-scale data thefts on popular social media platforms and other web service providers. Unfortunately, credentials stolen in these external breaches have been used to access TeamViewer accounts, as well as other services. We are appalled by the behavior of cybercriminal and disgusted by their actions towards TeamViewer users. They have taken advantage of common use of the same account information across multiple services to cause damage. The statement went on to announce two measures being introduced in response to the large number of reported TeamViewer hackings. First, the dubbed Trusted Devices ensures that before a device can access an existing TeamViewer account for the first time, the account holder must explicitly confirm that the new device is trusted. TeamViewer is implementing the measure using an in-app notification that asks account holders to approve the device by clicking a link sent through email. The second measure, called Data Integrity, provides automated monitoring that detects when an account has been hacked. The system determines continuously if your TeamViewer account shows unusual behavior, i.e. access from a new location, that might suggest that it had been compromised. Friday's statement explained, to safeguard your data integrity, your TeamViewer account will be marked for an enforced password reset. The TeamViewer spokesman, Axel Smith, told Ars that TeamViewer officials initially planned to introduce these security features last year. The growing number of public posts reporting the TeamViewer account takeovers prompted the early rollout, he said. So, watching all the TeamViewer-related tweets and Reddit comments scroll by in real time is like drinking from a fire hose. While reports of infected computers and drained accounts have reached deafening crescendo over the past 48 hours, similar stories have been circulating for more than six months. TeamViewer hacked to allow intruders on my desktop, one post from December reads. Someone got into my TeamViewer account and tried to send themselves money with eBay and PayPal. How can, how, what do I do to figure out what else was done? A TeamViewer pleaded with Reddit last month. So... Basically, ARS is calling on end users and network administrators who have been hit by this attack to provide log files in hours leading up to the compromise. They'll show those files to researchers uh, who will attempt to pinpoint the common causes. Readers can submit their logs by emailing me, um, and this is an Ars Technica um, article, so you can find it. We'll post up the, the link, but in the meantime, TeamViewer users should ensure their accounts are protected with a randomly generated password that's at least 10 characters long, contains numbers, symbols, uppercase and lowercase letters, and is unique. It is also a good idea to run TeamViewer only when it's needed rather than allowing it to auto-start each time a computer is turned on. How2Geek has a thorough guide on locking down TeamViewer. 
TeamViewer engineers certainly have the ability to perform log analysis, presumably at a much more granular level than many outsiders can. But there's more to these compromises than what TeamViewer has said to date, and it's time we all learned what it is. So it sounds like uh, maybe TeamViewer was a low-hanging fruit. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, so definitely. And for the listeners that don't know what TeamViewer is, it's actually a proprietary um, software package. And what it does uh, for end users or companies, it allows them to do remote control or desktop sharing, including online meetings and web conferencing and file transfers uh, between computers. So it's sort of a, an easy way to get uh, things done. So that's why it's low-hanging fruit, because it's easy. That's, that, that's my two cents there. Right, and I think that right now with, what was it, 634 million passwords being leaked, and that's mm-hmm. a huge that's a huge key list. That's a huge word list. Yeah, um, so I, I guess we're going to he- hear in the, the weeks and uh, months and days to come about what they're doing with that information and how TeamViewer, team uh, the company themselves, are going to lock things down better. So, yeah. Um, so, Nick, do you have some news on WordPress? Actually, I do. Um, uh, the, WordPress, the WordPress plugin with 10,000-plus installations are being exploited in the wild, and there's no fix available for this critical flaw, and it's been under attack since last week. A growing number of WordPress websites have been infected by attackers exploiting a vulnerability that remains unpatched in a widely used plugin. The attacks have been underway since last Friday and are mainly being used to install porn-related spamming scripts, according to the blog that was published Thursday. The underlying vulnerability in WordPress Mobile Detector came to light on Tuesday. The plugin has since been removed from the official WordPress plugin directory, and as of Wednesday, the plugin reportedly had more than 10,000 active installations. And it appears many remained active at the time that uh, this post was being prepared. The security flaw uh, seems to stem from the plugin's failure to remove malicious input submitted by website visitors. Because the WordPress mobile detector performs no security checks, an attacker can feed malicious PHP code into requests received by websites that use the plugin. One of the uh, security analysts from Security, Doug Santos said that the vulnerability is very easy to exploit. All the attacker needs to do is send a request to resize.php or timthumb.php. Yes, timthumb in this case is just includes resize.php. Include those inside the plugin directory with the backdoor URL. Attack code exploiting critical image magic vulnerability is expected within hours. With no update available, the most sensible course of action for vulnerable websites is to completely uninstall WordPress Mobile Detector. A partial fix involves disabling PHP execution in the plugin subdirectory, but that measure doesn't stop attackers from uploading malicious files to that directory and linking to them elsewhere online. Website administrators may also revoke write permissions altogether in the subdirectory but may prevent the plugin from working. Most application-level firewalls don't provide meaningful protection against the exploits either, although Security said its firewall service does provide a patch 
using a virtual hardening engine. The vulnerability can be exploited only when PHP option allow underscore URL underscore F open is enabled. If the exploits invocation of resize.php sounds familiar, it may be because of the recent vulnerability detected in ImageMagick, a widely used image processing library that many sites use directly or indirectly to resize images uploaded by end users. However, Security CTO Daniel Sid told ARS that there's no connection between the two vulnerabilities. Very interesting. Got to make sure that uh, WordPress stays updated and, you know, uh, that you uninstall things that you don't need to use within WordPress. You know, that's very, uh, very critical. And that goes the same for any application that you're using or any website service or any cloud service that you're using. If you have services that you're not using within that service, you should definitely disable them. Um, Turn them off. Close them out. Right. If you don't need them, get them out of there. So... I'm going to elaborate on the 642 million passwords that were released um, so that we can kind of get an idea of what happened, um, you know, and how all these passwords were kind of gathered. And, you know, let's just elaborate on that. So MySpace, Tumblr, Fling are the latest services to join discredited LinkedIn. Um, So less than two weeks after more than 177, 177 million LinkedIn user password surfaced. Security researchers have discovered three more breaches involving MySpace. Who uses MySpace anymore? But <laughs> um, MySpace, Tumblr, and dating website Fling um, that all told bring, all total and bring the number of compromised accounts to more than 642 million. That's usernames and Whoa, passwords coupled together. So any one of these four um, I'm going to talk about on their own would be notable, but to see them cluster together is quite intriguing. That was from uh, security researcher Troy Hunt. The cluster involves breaches known to have happened to Fling in 2011, to LinkedIn 2012, and Tumblr in 2013. It's still not clear when the MySpace hack took place, but Hump, the operator of Have I Been Pwned, which is a website that you can go to to check to see if you've been pwned, um, it's a breach notification service, said that it surely happened sometime after 2007 and before 2012. He continued that there are some really interesting patterns emerging here. One obviously is the age. The newest breach of the recent spate is more than three years old. Uh, This data has been lying dormant um, for long periods of time. The other is the size. And these four breaches are all in the top five largest ones that Have I Been Pwned has ever seen. That's out of the 109 breaches to date. Not only that, but these four incidents account for two-thirds of all the data in the system, or at least they will once uh, MySpace uh, turns up and makes its way into that list. So then there's the fact that it's all appearing within a short period of time, all within all just this month. There's been some catalysts that have brought the breaches to light, and to see them all fit this mold would appear in such short period of time, but you know they could be related. And that's what Troy's kind of alluding to. All four of the password dumps are being sold on a dark web forum um, by a user with 24 positive feedback ratings, two neutral ratings, and zero negative ratings. This was reported by Ars 
Nick, myself, or Vic, who is also on the podcast right now. Um, we have not gone on to dark web forums and looked at this stuff, but we'll trust the word of ours that, you know, they they looked at this and they investigated it very good, um, that they, they post this stuff up and kind of make us aware of it. But that's an indication that the unknown person isn't exaggerating on the quality of data due to the feedback that they've received for previous data dumps. The mega breach trend is troubling for at least a couple of reasons. First, it demonstrates that the service providers are either unable to detect breaches or they're willing to keep them secrets for years after they're discovered. Second, it raises the unsettling question where the trend will end and if breaches are in store before we get there. One of the four recently discovered breaches, one affecting the most number of people is MySpace hack, which compromised 360 million accounts. While that's the biggest known breach to hit a single online service, password cracking experts are already dismissing the value of the compromised data. That's because MySpace engineers truncated the passwords to 10 characters and converted all the letters to lowercase. Still, the MySpace dump, unlike, well, like the other recently unearthed breaches, is likely to create problems for any of the affected users who employed the same user ID and password on other sites. Readers who are among this group should change their passwords as soon as possible. So it's crazy to see how a service um, such as MySpace that's put out there that's not necessarily as popular as the other social media services out there um, is susceptible to this type of hit. That shows you that even though the popularity for a particular service has gone down, the hack value has not gone down for that service along with the popularity. So what that means for service providers is until you have final operating capacity and decommissioning of that particular service, you're going to have to maintain the encryption standards. You're going to have to maintain, you know, all of the different data protection mechanisms in order to ensure that the username passwords are stored as well as any sensitive data that's stored on that particular service or site. Yeah, I agree with that one, Matt. Um, and that's a good way to put it. Even though there's not that many people or as it used to be, um, you still have those little uh, crevices that hackers could get into and, and do what they will. No matter uh, what's there, they might just be doing it for fun or they might be doing it for, quote, security research, but you still got to lock those down. Exactly. So... Uh... Do you want to elaborate on how LinkedIn, you know, maybe kind of what happened with them and what we keep alluding to in the podcast? Yeah, so LinkedIn, I think they this is their actual second uh, data dump and lets hackers be six times better cracking for future dumps. So back in 2012, a uh, fellow professional password cracker by the name that who goes by the name Dead One, who regret uh, regretfully passed away in 2013, and the writer of this story, uh, Jeremy Gosney, um they made short work out of the first LinkedIn password dump, cracking more than 90% of the 6.4 million password hashes in just under one week. Following that effort, uh, he did a short write-up uh, titled The Final Word on the LinkedIn Leak. An unknown hacker posted the lists online and asked for help in cracking them. But those 6.4 million unique hashes posted on a Russian password cracking forum in June of 2012 only counted for a fraction of the total LinkedIn database. The second dump, on the other hand, contains 177.5 million password hashes for 164.6 million users, which aligns perfectly with LinkedIn's user account in the second quarter of 2012. After validating the data, 
Uh, Jeremy received, uh, along with several individuals, uh, concluded that this does appear to be a nearly complete dump of the user table from the 2012 LinkedIn hack. He says nearly complete because there are some email addresses in the dump that do not have hashes associated with them. The hash is being replaced with the string XXX, and um, there are also some hashes that are not associated with an email address where the email address is just null, nothing. Um, he presumes the hash is not associated with any email addresses or deleted accounts. Um, can't even venture a guess as to why some of the password hashes are missing. That's the way it goes out when you're working with secondhand data from an unknown source. You just can't get a pristine uh, database dump these days. But you may think that 178 million password hashes is a lot, and you wouldn't be wrong, but some 362 million passwords, allegedly from MySpace, which we just talked about, recently been posted for sale on the dark web elsewhere. So what makes the LinkedIn breach more notable? While MySpace also acknowledged the breach, the data actually holds very little analytical value due to the fact the passwords were dramatically altered before being hashed. Those passwords were all converted to lowercase and truncated to just 10 characters. So it's impossible for us to know what the original input data was. Further, two of the top 10 passwords from the MySpace list appear to be created by spammers creating fake profiles and likely do not reflect the, choice, the choices of actual end users. So as it stands today, the LinkedIn breach is the largest and most relevant publicly acknowledged password breach in internet history. And I can actually say that I've had, uh, I've had people try to connect with me on LinkedIn that I have no clue who they are. Um, oh, they're definitely, they're definitely it, made it up looks accounts. Fake. You can tell. Yeah. Yeah, the, the pictures and, and where they said they went to school and what they're doing, but somehow they want to connect with me. Hey, hello, how are you? Ha, ha, ha. Wait, who is that? Is that Vic? Vic, where you been? You just woke up? <laughs> You're all the way in Huntsville, Nick. Say hello to everyone, Vic. <laughs> you know what? That's actually kind of epic that you start with hello world. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Says any good uh, assembly programmer slash C++ programmer slash Python programmer slash Java programmer to ever grace their presence on our keyboard, grace their hands on a keyboard. So yeah, we were talking about um, password cracking and how all of these passwords, what is it, 634 million are we up to now, Nick? Yep. Um, have been released into the wild. And, uh, you know, we're given a play-by-play -play on all the different um, all the different services that were kind of compromised and all that stuff. So have you had any issues um, with any compromises lately, like with your Twitter or anything like that, Vic? Uh, I have not. I, I don't, that I know of.
Right. It it's one of those things. Password reuse is something that um is something that is a reality. You know. So, do we want to um do we want to go over like password cracking and kind of like cover uh like a play by play on the instrumentation of password cracking maybe? I think our listeners would probably want to hear that. All right, I'll jump in. So, with password cracking in the age of enlightenment. So, thanks to real world data. The keys to your digital kingdom are under assault. So, an arse, uh, as arse, <laughs> an arse, um, <laughs> as arse explained a few months back after the first batch of the LinkedIn passwords that spilled, password cracking is an endless feedback loop. We crack the password so that we can learn about password, which helps us crack more passwords, which we can then analyze and use to crack more passwords. We start off with a small amount of data that enables us to crack a small number of passwords. Those passwords then give us some insight on how the passwords are created, which enables us to crack more passwords in the future. So it's not just passwords that we're interested in. A short, low-entropy, human-generated string, e.g. usernames and screen names, email addresses, are potentially all useful. Similar to what we've learned in the absence of external factors such as password complexity policies, the username selection process is not at all different from the password selection process. The more data we accumulate and analyze, the more successful we are at cracking the passwords. So back in the early days of password cracking, didn't have much insight into the way that people created passwords on a macro scale. Sure, they knew about passwords like 123456, password, secret, let me in, monkey, etc. But for the most part, attacking password hashes was rather barbaric technique using literal dictionaries and stupid word lists like uh, klingonwords.txt. Um, the knowledge of the 1,000, top 1,000 passwords was at least two decades old. We were damn lucky to find a password database with only a few thousand users. When you consider the billions of accounts in existence, even back then, the window into the way that user-created passwords was, more than, was a little more than a pinhole. So those dark ages of password cracking um, those were the dark ages of password cracking, as I should say. Um, the Age of Enlightenment came after 32 million non-unique plain text passwords from RockU were leaked onto the internet. Suddenly, a pinhole turned into a porthole, and for the first time in history, there was a solid look at how users uh, were creating passwords on a mass scale. So the RockU breach, um, which revolutionized password cracking, no longer were people using, like, uh, List of kitchen appliance manufacturers, TXT, for word lists. Um, everyone was just using rockyou.txt, and they were cracking a significant percentage of passwords. Markov statistics, man, uh, mangling rules, everything was based off of what we learned from the Rockyou passwords. The Rockyou beach coincided um, and was another turning point in the password cracking history. The advent of the general purpose GPU for computing. By harnessing the parallel processing capabilities of a graphics card, um, basically passwords were now generating the password hashes was tens of times faster than with a regular CPU. Meanwhile, software like Hashcat and OCL Hashcat um, helped bring GPU password cracking into the mainstream, displacing now obsolete techniques like rainbow tables. Instead of pushing pixels, they're able to... Um, they were pushing RockU-powered passwords. 
and we were cracking password hashes with unprecedented speed and success. This fueled a way of new password research, and when other large password breaches came our way, like eHarmony, Strat4, Gawker, LinkedIn, for instance, uh, individuals were ready and waiting. So, but most post Rock U breaches have paled in comparison to the latest LinkedIn leak. Breaches from Zappos, Evernote, and Living Social with 24 million, 50 million, and 50 million respectively would have made for fantastic password statistics, except those hashes never saw the light of day. So the Adobe Beach, which was 130 million, was an amazing win for whoever stole the encryption key. But the rest of the world is uh, stuck playing a crossword puzzle. It is certainly possible that there are some large password databases slowly making their way across the dark web from companies that don't even know that they've been breached. Oh, I'm but as sure. Far, yeah, it's, it's inevitable. But as far as confirmed data breaches go, RockU was the previous password cracking standard for relevant and useful breaches. As in 2012, uh, Ars was, uh, was luckily to get their hands on a new LinkedIn data about a week after its announcement. Using a single Sagita HPC Brutalis packed with eight NVIDIA GTX Titan X graphics card, um, it was they managed to recover 85% of the passwords on the first day, despite the fact that the cracking was so many passwords so quickly that the whole system slowed to a crawl. Working on the rest of the Hashcat, um, working with the rest of the Hashcat development team, our uh, managed to reach 88% by the end of the third day, and they crossed the 90% threshold on the fourth day. This so, all Matt, happened that's with all the cards? That's with the eight uh, NVIDIA cards? Yes. Uh, that's, so That's cool. They, that's they a lot of power. <laughs> it is. It's, um, it's pretty cool to think about it with how they can have the parallel processing and have the ability to crack these passwords in such a, um, in such a cool and quick fashion so this all happened two full days faster than working with the first linkedin dump which contained only a small fraction of the number of hatches on the sixth day um our tech uh they teamed up with rival password cracking team uh sinoshore prime um to close out the effort a solid 98 percent cracking a total of 173.7 million passwords so while the RockU breach revolutionized password cracking with only 32 million passwords, the second wave of LinkedIn data is nearly six times larger. And given how many times the data was changed hands over the past two weeks, it's surely a matter of time before the full data is made publicly available. When it is, any password cracker worth their salt, kind of a joke there, but should be <laughs> able to crack 80 to 90% of the passwords on their own. This means that hackers will soon have a drop-in replacement for RockU that is over five times more effective. Wow. A new de facto word list with new patterns to analyze, generate new rules, and new statistics for probabilistic password cracking. When you take both RockU and LinkedIn and combine them with eHarmony, Strat4, Gawker, Gamigo, Ashley Madison, and dozen of other smaller public password breaches, hackers will simply be more prepared than ever for the next big data breach. Pretty interesting stuff. So what do you think, Nick? Uh, <laughs> that sounds like a, a a real business going on. You know, I'm 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 picturing like um, a call center, but in the call center, 
they're cracking passwords and you know the screens are up saying okay we've got 80 percent uh cracked for today keep going guys we need to reach the 100 the 100 percent mark and that's crazy look at all these companies that are getting cracked all the time it's ridiculous it's crazy it is nuts oh my gosh it's it, it it's so uh, you know it's like everyone needs to go to to two factor or, or, or three factor and, and, and a physical token yeah it's definitely um it's definitely pushing the what you know what you have and what you are and you know depending upon the amount of risk um, that a particular service or a particular system poses right so if uh, it is a high value it has like your personally identifiable information on it it has you know pictures of your birth certificate of your passports of you know it has all this data on it you want to make sure that that stays protected and you know if you're storing storing that in a cloud service that only has a two-factor authentication which the most popular is putting in a password and then either answering questions that you set up in the past or having a um a, a key sent to an email you know a code and then you put in that code uh, that's not going to be enough there's going to have to be something else where like you said you have that physical token so nick uh after saying all that about you know all of the rockyou.txt now we have a new a new you.txt right we have a new password right. list that that can be used yeah um what do you think about these, you know, why do we have the password hashes in the first place and where do we go from here? So let's quickly remember why we should hash passwords in the first place. So password hashing is an insurance policy. It ensures that should the password database be compromised in any way or through any vector, including physical theft, the passwords will not be recovered until engineers have an opportunity to identify and contain the breach, uh, notify the public, and give users an opportunity to change their passwords anywhere else they may have used them. And you know everyone else uses the same password for everything they connect to. Uh, the stronger and slower the password hashing is, the more time a site buys for itself and its users in the event of a breach. So therein lies the problem. We've known about the necessity of slow hashing since the 70s, yet due to a global failure in threat modeling, adoption has been extremely low it is only in light of a string of high-profile breaches in the last five years that slow hashing has begun to make its way into the mainstream. So services like LinkedIn, who failed to employ slow hashing, the combined 184 million passwords dumped in 2012, and this year all use unsalted uh, SHA-1, hackers have had more than a few fantastic opportunities to collect and analyze massive amounts of password data. Do not try to downplay the incident by saying something like, most of the passwords on the list appear to remain hashed and hard to decode. What this means is, even if the next big breach does employ slow hashing, it likely will not be anywhere near as effective as it would have been even five years ago. So post-LinkedIn, it will now take hackers many fewer attempts to guess the correct password than it otherwise would have. That's not to say that online services shouldn't employ slow hashing today. If they aren't using something like Bcrypt or Argon2 for password storage, then they're doing something very, very wrong.
but slow hashing is no longer as effective of a solution as it could have been uh, had it only been adopted sooner. Hackers again have the upper hand. Examining the breach, LinkedIn didn't have very much of an insurance policy. It was employing <laughs> wrong Shay one for password hashing. But perhaps even worse is the fact that the company never even attempted to cash in on it. Back in 2012, they failed to identify and acknowledge the breach in a timely fashion. And when they eventually did, they apparently only forced a password reset for the accounts belonging to the initial 6.4 million hashes. The evidence suggests that the remaining 165 million accounts were allowed to use those compromised, those same compromised passwords. That's not the way it should work. When you suspect a password database has been compromised, even just in part, a tiny part, you cash in on that insurance policy immediately by activating your instant response team and your public relations team. Companies ideally should notify the general public and users in an expedited manner, forcing a password reset for all users as soon as the breach is contained and the threat has been eradicated. By the time LinkedIn made a statement about the breach, by contrast, um, already had 70% of the passwords cracked. Every moment LinkedIn hesitated was potentially devastating for its users. And for the love of God, do not try to downplay the incident by saying that uh, most of the passwords on the list appear to remain hashed and hard to decode. Instead, companies should just acknowledge the plain and simple fact that if password hashes have been accessed, users are at real and measurable risk of account takeovers. This data has been making its way around the dark web for five years now. If professional password crackers could get this dump to 98% in six days, then surely those who have had years to work on it have achieved their similar success. Who knows what such crackers have used the data for? If you had a LinkedIn account in 2012 and have since been the victim of a hacking attempt or identity theft, this very well could be the reason why. So, what actions do you, the users, need to take now? So, just like you thought, for starters, go change your passwords for LinkedIn and any other services where you may have used the same or similar password. So, uh, your LinkedIn, your Google account, uh, your Facebook account, your Twitter account. You know you're using the same passwords. Change them. Uh, get get yourself the password book like I, I talked about, you know, a, a, a couple of podcasts ago and write them down and change them every month for as many bad Nick, password. Is, yeah. this, is this what you mentioned last year? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Last year, not not a couple months ago. Yeah. You, you know, when you get uh, older, man, time just flies by, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. yeah, that. Yep. That's what I we talked about last year. I don't think a lot of <laughs> companies are doing that. Hey, I think that Vic should send us all pizza. <laughs> Costco pizza. Oh, heck yeah. So for as well, many sorry, bad Nick. passwords as there were in the LinkedIn dump, there were certainly a lot of really fanatic ones too. Given the fact that it may take service providers uh, years to identify and acknowledge that your account has been compromised – as criminals could be doing literally anything with your credentials in the meantime, it is important to recognize that having a unique password per account is far more important than length, complexity, randomness, or anything else you've been told that you need. 
by using a unique password for each of your accounts, you are limiting the scope of a breach to just that one account. The average person has at least 26 online accounts. That's a lot of accounts. <laughs> wow. But but that's, prob that's probably right. If you think about how many things you log into in a day, guys, you know us. <laughs> the average person has 26 online accounts. So IT professionals usually have hundreds. There you go. It is absolutely crucial that you employ a good password manager and let your password manager generate a new random password for each of your accounts. And when you do catch wind of a site or service being compromised, always change your password immediately, even if you do not receive an email from the service instructing you to do so. And finally, ensure you have multi-factor authentication or two-step verification enabled for your most critical accounts. Um, while uh, the person who wrote this one said he personally has yet to be impressed by any vendor's MFA or 2SV deployment, it does generally add an extra hurdle for hackers to jump through, and it certainly could be effective. So when you can, two-factor. If they don't have it, use a unique, separate, uh, long, tedious password that you can write down in a safe place <laughs> and refer to. When in doubt, two-factor out. Yeah, that's a good one. Or two-factor in, right? Yeah. I like that. So let's talk about uh, some HTTPS site vulnerabilities, shall we? Sure. So um, the forbidden attack makes dozens of HTTPS visa sites vulnerable to tampering. Researchers say that 70,000 servers belong to others um, also at risk. So dozens of HTTPS uh, protected websites that belong to financial services giant like Visa are vulnerable to attacks that allow hackers to inject malicious code and forge content into the browsers of visitors. An international team of researchers has found. In all, 184 servers some belonging to German stock exchange, Deutsche Börse, and Polish banking association, Zizwick Banko Polish, was found to be vulnerable to a decade-old exploit technique cryptographers have dubbed the forbidden attack. An additional 70,000 web servers were found to be at risk, although the work required to successfully carry out the attack might prove to be prohibitively div difficult. The data came from an internet-wide scan performed in January. Since then, Deutsche Börse has remedied the problem, but as Wednesday, as of Wednesday, both Visa and Zwick Benko Bolishk have <laughs> allowed the vulnerability to remain and have yet to respond to any of the researchers' private disclosures. So the vulnerability stems from the implementation of TLS that incorrectly reuses the same uh, cryptographic nonce when data is encrypted. So TLS specifications are clear that these arbitrary pieces of data should only be used once. When the same one is used more than once, it provides an opportunity to carry out the forbidden attack, which allows hackers to generate the key material used to authenticate the site content. The exploit was first described in comments submitted to the National Institute of Standard and Technology, NIST. Um, it gets its name because NIST uniqueness is a ground rule for proper crypto. So by repeating the same nonce during the TLS handshake that occurs when a browser first connects to an HTTPS 
connected site, the 184 HTTPS servers violate the core tenant. That in turn makes it possible for attackers with the ability to monitor the connection, say over an unsecured Wi-Fi network, to inject forged content into the transmission without causing the browser to detect anything as amiss. So this results in a catastrophic failure of authenticity, even if Anonce is only reused a single time, and enables us to carry uh, out a practical forgery attack against HTTPS. So the researchers wrote in a paper that was titled Nonce uh, Disrespecting Adversaries, Practical Forgery Attacks on GCM and TLS, and the research also serves as the basis for a briefing scheduled in August at Black Hat. So the ability, and this is Black Hat in Vegas, so the ability for man-in-the-middle attackers to inject content into an HTTPS authenticated content um, violates a fundamental guarantee of TLS. Attackers who are able to bypass the protection could add malicious JavaScript code or possibly add web fields that prompt a visitor to re reveal passwords, social security numbers, or other sensitive data. So although the vulnerability making the forbidden attack has been well documented, the new research is notable for demonstrating how it can be used against HTTPS protected websites. Proof of contact code is available online and it shows that forgery attack against visitors are practical. So a short video of the attack being used against one of the vulnerable visa sites is online. The visa representatives didn't respond to Ars Technica when they sent an email um, seeking comment for this article. So the paper, which was authored by researcher Hanno Bock, Aaron Zollner, Sean Devlin, Jirash Shum, I sorry, butchered your last name. Samarvsky. <laughs> Samarvsky and Philip Genovic went on to warn that 70,000 HTTPS servers are potentially vulnerable to the attack because they rely on pseudo-randomly generated nonces. So given enough web requests, there is a high probability the underlying sites would reuse one and open themselves up to an attack. The number of required requests uh, remains extremely high with about 2 to the 30th power requests creating a 3% chance of a repeat and 2 and 30 to the 35th power creating a 100% chance. As the title of the paper suggests, the forbidden attack works against AES-GCM, the most widely used cipher for symmetric encryption in the TLS protocol. So for 70,000 sites identified by the researchers, um, an attacker would have to feed terabytes worth of data into a web connection to create that many requests, a requirement that probably makes an attack more theoretical than practical. Still. The risk generally considered unacceptable for most organizations that operate HTTPS protected sites. Switch over to TLS 1.1, basically. But the researchers identified several TLS implementations that generate the pseudo-random nonces, including one in IBM Domino's web server that was patched in March, another in load balancers from Radware that has also been fixed. Since the researchers carried out their scan, many of the vulnerable or potentially vulnerable sites have been fixed. But things aren't likely to meaningfully improve until engineers become more aware of the problem. And that was one of the key motivations for publishing the paper. So I'm pretty sure that if I rescan for this issue in a year or so, the number won't have changed by much. Zoner uh, wrote in an email, maybe <laughs> even more implementations that F it up. No one can really tell. So, wow. I think we covered a lot of content this week. What do you guys think?
Yeah, for the first time uh, back in a while, um, it you know it's it's good to uh, get the information back out there to the users, um, and uh, and as well as the listeners. And it's good to be back on the mic again. Cool. So. So yeah, you guys wanna? Are we gonna? Uh, yeah, since we uh, cued the music here, do you guys want to go ahead and sign off? You got any shout-outs? Sure. Um, I don't have any shout-outs. Do you guys have any shout-outs? Uh, just a shout-out uh, for everyone to be at the uh, National Cyber Summit, June 8th and 9th, Vaughn uh, Broad Center, Council Alabama. That's what's going on this month. Um, also coming up, we have um, Black Hat coming up. We also have... Def con 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 next month. Uh, anything else going on, guys? What's going on in Maryland? No, that's pretty much it. Shout out to Chandra. <laughs> <laughs> Chandra, you the Keep realist. Keep those Becky shirts. You already know. Yancey so, on deck. Stay tuned uh, for our next podcast and stay in sync. With, with Infosex, Infosex Sync.